Hi, and welcome to the Act React podcast, where we explore improvisation through conversations with remarkable artists. I'm Daniel Burkholder, the host of the podcast and a dancer based here in Milwaukee. I'm so very excited about this episode where we get to talk um, to Fern Bronson, the artistic and the artistic director and founder of Kothi Dance Company. I have known Fern for quite a number of years. Um, first, she was one of my instructors when I was getting my MFA in dance. Then we were colleagues at UWM, and my daughter was also in her children's company that she directs, uh, Tan Kothi. I wanted to have Fern here on the podcast because she's a renowned expert in West African dance, and I'm curious about the use and training of improvisation in that lineage. Um, I know a little bit about African dance, having some exposure to it, West African dance specifically, uh, but only a little bit. So Fern takes us on quite the journey through uh, the history and her perspective and her work and how it all relates to improvisation. Uh, I'm sure you're going to love it. Before we get started, here is a little bit about a little bit more about Fern. Fern Bronson is the founder and artistic director of Kothi Dance Company, Wisconsin's oldest African American arts organization. Kothi, founded in 1969, is dedicated to the preservation and expression of the performing arts from the African continent, Caribbean, and United States. She taught at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee since 1971, where she was a full professor in the Peck School of the Arts Dance Department until she retired as Professor Emerita in 2016. Her research is focused on links between traditional African dance and musical forms throughout the African diaspora. She is particularly interested in the relationship between arts training, exposure, increased self-esteem, and social behavior. As a Fulbright scholar, Fern studied and traveled to Tanzania, East Africa, uh, and she continues to create, perform, and lead Kothi Dance Company. So, uh, as always, you can check out the description of the podcast for information and I find more about Fern, myself, and the podcast. And uh, without further delay, here's my conversation with Fern. Enjoy. Good afternoon, Fern, and thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure, definitely. Um, we're going to go ahead and just jump right into some okay. questions and, and see where it takes okay. us. Um, so, thinking about West African dance, mm-hmm. and I always think of just that, that intimate relationship between mm-hmm. the music and the dancing. Mm-hmm. I should say West African performance or something, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it's... it's Separating the music from the dance seems almost impossible. Um, In some ethnic groups, they don't even have a word for dance and music. They'll have one word. And it it means both. It's the thing. Yeah. In in Swahili, they say ngoma, mm -hmm. which means dance and or drum. Right. So that's interesting. That is is fascinating. I mean, that was kind of my question. Mm -hmm. And I think a good place to start is talking about Mm -hmm. what is that in performance or Mm -hmm. in in events, what is the, how could you talk about that relationship? Yeah, um, I, and, and, I, and it's interesting because there's there are some forms like the Maasai, mm-hmm. and they don't use drums. Mm-hmm. And the people who are usually nomadic don't, because right. that's too much to carry. Um, but in and but even then, there's music accompaniment if it's through chanting or like with the Maasai, the trumping, they do that, mm-hmm. right? So right. that's like duplicating the drum um and i'm not sure which came first i just always feel that african movement is rhythmic at its core and somehow it just seems that the rhythmic core um, lends itself to 
a society and a culture that makes things out of what is growing around them. Mm. So the rattle gourds, the, 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 the rattles that are around the ankles, yeah. those are made out of mango, dried mango seeds, right? Mm. Or, or um, the skin of the, the drum. There's an old legend that goes with how the drum was created, is that mm. it was actually a mortar and a pestle that the women were you know, doing the rice with. Oh, yeah. If you look at it, well, the djembe drum. And it's made just like that, except that there's it's it's not it's uh, it's not it's hollowed out yeah. all the way through the bottom. Yeah, yeah. But that one day uh, uh, the men had killed slaughtered a goat, and they had taken the skin and threw it over this woman's pestle, right? And so um, it dried, and then one day somebody went by and went pop, and this sound came out. And that, that was the beginning of the djembe. I don't know if that's true or not, but anyway, right. it's a legend. Yeah, it's good. So things come, the instrumentation and the use of percussive instruments comes out of what is already naturally there. Mm-hmm. So it's just a natural leap that the voice, the intonation, the rhythmic nature of that develops into this musical accompaniment. Yeah. And um, I, I was showing the grads... Um, this movie on, on the Lindy Hop and Dizzy Gillespie is on there and he, he says the big band music that we knew wouldn't have been possible if it hadn't been for the Lindy Hoppers because the music was created because they were accenting what the, de- what the Lindy Hoppers were doing. Mm-hmm. And then the Lindy Hoppers say, well, we couldn't have done what we were doing if it wasn't for the musicians. Yeah. But it's a symbiotic relationship. So yeah. I don't know which came first. I just know that it's at the core, especially in the West African forms, right. Ghana, uh, Liberia, Seneg- the, Seneg- the Francophone, Senegalese. Yeah. It's, it's a big part of it. So I don't know why, I just know that it is. Mm-hmm. It's integral and has always been. So how the, this, this idea of using what's at hand and mm-hmm. those develop into mm-hmm. the, this rhythmic, percussive mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. instruments, um, could you describe the kind of dancing that mm-hmm. evolved or evolved alongside that? Well, I, you know, it's interesting. Um, when I tell people about African dance, I, I, let me go back to, mm-hmm. let's say, 40, 50 years ago and, and back further. I can go back to being a freshman at the University of Wisconsin at UW-Madison where they had an African dance class, but it wasn't called African. It was called primitive dance. <laughs> okay. And that was 1969, uh-huh. right? It's called primitive. Then we went from primitive to African, and then we went from African to actual identification of regions. Mm-hmm. Because people suddenly realized the difference between South African dance and, and West African dance is like night and day, it's like yeah. two different planets. Yeah. And then even within West Africa, We've got the francophone, the djembes and junjuns, but mm-hmm. in Ghana they don't play those kind of drums, mm-hmm. and their dance and their music is completely different. They don't even move the same way. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah. so got Nigeria, they play different kinds of drums and they don't move the same way. Yeah. So all of a sudden we got into specificity in terms of like what is the form, mm-hmm. and so each one of these countries has a regionality that is, you know, a, a, a national dance that's kind of their thing, like Senegal, it's Sabah, right? Mm-hmm. But inside of those individual countries, there are more delineations. 
And you can go from one village to the next village and see a dance that has the same title, name, and there's something there that's similar, but there's also, they're very different. Yeah. So this is where the concept of improvisation comes in, mm-hmm. is that how much is, you know, where does that difference come from? Yeah. And if the dances are traditionally, you know, there might be a dance, there'll be a dance, and for example, it has only five or six steps. Mm-hmm. But in actuality, it has 50 steps because those five or six, six steps become the basis for that dance, which probably has originated because of an event or it's, it's, it tells a story or it's tied to the history and legacy of the group or it tells yeah. a major event, yeah. what have you. So that becomes, you know, like the harvest dances depict har- preparation and harvest, right? right? But when they actually do it in the circle, in the community, people then, the drummers play, and then people come up and do elaborations of. Mm-hmm. And that's how it, the form grows. Yeah. So improvisation and innovation is very much a part of African dance style. At the same time, I think it's actually one of the reasons why we have African dance so vibrant throughout the African diaspora. But when we went into the slave trade, something broke mm-hmm. with those traditions. Okay? Yeah. And we know what broke and we know why it broke. And I think that on one level it's been a it was not good. On the other level is is that it fed this wild diversity where Brazil is Candomblé and you know Angola style, Capoeira, there's in Haiti, there's Vodun and all these other different dance styles. Yeah. And you know samba, and then we we go into the African American, you know the gullah, the ring shout. All these things happened because there was this innate ability to be free within the form. Yeah. So something gets taken away, and you immediately replace it with something else that's in your environment. Yeah. And there's also a cross kind of population or mm-hmm. cross pollination very much so of, of the different forms rubbing up exactly. against one another and, and learning from one another right. and stuff like that um, you know when I think of West African dance one of the things that I think are in terms of improvisation mm-hmm. again is those moments of solos mm-hmm. right where a dancer comes forward um, and or a drummer comes mm-hmm. forward and there's that moment mm-hmm. where um there's a solo happening, a dancing solo and a, and a drumming solo, mm-hmm. and they're communicating back and Definitely. forth. Definitely, and their support. And the musician is, the musician is looking for. You know, I was explaining to. It's like when the kids do um, the jump rope. Uh huh. Right. What do you call it when the kids jump? Like double dutch. Double dutch. Yeah. You know how, you know, there's a rhythmic pattern that has set, mm-hmm. and there's a vocabulary, and then the person who's getting ready to jump in has to go back and forth like this to get into the rocking thing yeah. and then they jump in and so that's kind of what I think happens with the improvisation with working with the musicians in the center uh-huh. is that same kind of thing that's yeah. happening they're feeling but they but it's a vocabulary where they understand what the vocabulary is uh-huh. so in other words the drummer is not going to bust out if the, if the drummers are playing um, Sorsenay for example the dancer is doing a source and a vocabulary, and this is what people have not understood. Yeah. That there are these dancers each have their own vocabulary and rhythmic vocabulary that mm-hmm. accompanies that. Mm-hmm. So if you if the drummer switched up 
you know, that informs the dancer what dance she's in. Uh huh. Okay? Yeah. So if she improvises, she has to improvise with that. If he switched that up to, to another rhythm, yeah. that could. Chief Bay, one of my. Uh, elders and teachers said if a drummer doesn't know what he's doing he can actually make the dancer break their foot because it's like you jump yeah. in the air and you come down and you're expecting and you don't hear it it's like stepping in a pothole uh-huh. so the improvisation mm-hmm. is like really like jazz musicians mm-hmm. very much so so that, so that there's a there's a like in jazz in, a lot of jazz, not all mm-hmm. jazz, but a lot of jazz. Mm-hmm. Like even when they're improvising, they know more or less the tempo and the key signature Correct. and and maybe the melody that they're they're playing. And they know with. the hook. And they know the hook, right? There's and a hook. So when the solo comes forward, it's within the context of that dance, of that language, yeah, of that language. You, you know, one thing I, I talked with um, other people about is this idea of limitations mm-hmm. and how within any improvisation mm-hmm. there's certain limitations always sometimes there are rules there's rules mm-hmm. yeah and and sometimes those limitations are you put on yourself mm-hmm. like you know like oh we're going to do this mm-hmm. dance mm-hmm. and that has certain vocabulary mm-hmm. and then there's also the bigger context of societal mm-hmm. right. constraints and limitations mm-hmm. and and stuff like that i mean just the fact that like we're we exist in gravity is a constraint right, right. <laughs> but um right. But so it's interesting to hear that within each dance, mm-hmm. there um, are restraints. There's res- there's restraints mm-hmm. or limitations or something like that. Mm-hmm. And how do you play because, with that edge? Well, um, you know, I call. You see, it depends on where your head is at, as they say. Because mm-hmm. I call myself a contemporary traditionalist. Yes. Okay, and I don't have any confusion about that, or anything. Yeah. Um, because I think it's, you know. I have always heard other things, you know, when I'm listening to rhythms. And I've always wanted to play with the reverse of a rhythm sometimes mm. in my body. Yeah. Right? So I can hear the tradition and then I want to do something. that. And so sometimes that has informed my choreography. Yeah. And then other times I want to be strictly, I want to strictly adhere because of the and I don't want to bring spirituality, but the sacredness of the legacy. Yeah. Okay. So that's why I call myself a contemporary traditionalist in that I'm always conscious of maintaining a legacy of work, mm-hmm. a legacy of the form that has very strict rules. At the same time, I want to be able to have flexibility. And we've been talking about that in class in terms of the word appropriation. You know, when is it appropriate to appropriate? <laughs> You know, yeah. and you know because I feel when you cross the line in appropriation and you don't give credit to what you to the resource that you you that you're using, then you're a thief. <laughs> yeah, no it's doubt. pretty plain to me. Yeah, you know we you, we use these big words like appropriation, but it's really thievery. <laughs> when you take yeah. credit for something that you know is not your original idea, right? Um, so, um, yeah. So it's a it's a fine line that we we walk in contemporary in the contemporary world. Um, on one of the videos I, I was showing them on African art, they were talking about this village 
that they make these the women make these amazing pots, right, out of clay, red clay. And so he had gone into this village, and he saw these women in these pots all have a very definite restraint, you can tell, by the, the way the designs that are made on them and everything. And then he went down a little further, and he saw this whole group that were just like, kapow, they were just full of color and different designs and something very... This was very, the, 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 the same, filmmaker? The yeah, filmmaker yeah, was and, going, right. Yeah, yeah. And he just saw all this different stuff. And so he says, oh, what is that? And so the, the woman said, oh, that's nothing. And he says, what do you mean they're beautiful? He says, yeah, but it's not, that's just playing. The real pots are these. <laughs> so that puts all of this in perspective, you know yeah. what I mean? It's like they, they were creating these amazing modern-looking things because of the modern things that were happening around them, but those weren't important. What was important was this traditional pot. Yeah. That's interesting. So I, you, you kind of started touching on this, and I did want to get to this, so that was a nice lead-in to, um, you know, talking about more traditional mm-hmm. kind of music dance mm-hmm. and stuff like that, but then also your work, which definitely, mm-hmm. you know, as you said, honors the tradition, but at times really pushes... Try um, to. Try to find yeah. um, I think something the, a little more idiosyncratic. Yeah, so, the last piece I did on the students here was Their Eyes Were Watching God. It was inspired, I was intentionally in that piece trying to put something on students that didn't have a whole volume of African experience and technique, yeah. but would push them out of their, it, from their modern training into another space yeah. that would afford them an opportunity to be somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting because once they realized that they actually were somewhere else, then they 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 owned it. Could you defi- can you define? I mean, sometimes words are difficult in yeah, these situations. Yeah, like what I but, mean by something else. Yeah, I knew you were going to come back. <laughs> well, something you know, like something else. Something else is 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 a space specifically for dancers. Is a space where. You transcend all your technical training and all your intellectual knowledge of analyzing your technical training and knowledge of the body and anatomy and all that stuff. And you move into a place where the dancing happens in between the steps. Mm. That's the other place. Mm -hmm. Because I think that dance happens in the transitions. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, the transitions are, to me, where the spirit resides. So, yeah, everybody can imitate a step. You know, you put the right foot here, you put the left foot there, you put the right foot here, and you shake it all about. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can all do that. Yeah. Especially, and the more trained you are, the more you can do that. Right. You know, how many pirouettes do you want? Five? Okay, boom, 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 here they are. But then, that's not dancing. It's like the dance happens when that dancer has to go into the five pirouettes. Right. And then has to come out of the fifth one into another step. That's where the breath gets taken away. Mm-hmm. And that's where the, that to me is where the spirit resides. That's where the spirit of the dance form, the choreographer, the history of the choreographer, it's all in that moment. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes a beautiful ballerina, a beautiful uh, 
violin player, you know, everybody I know, an opera singer, the ones who are the greatest, Pavarotti and all of these people, why were they so much better than everybody else? It's because they lived in that little space. Yeah. Beyond their training, they they did something. You know, Barbara Streisand is something about the way she phrased Frank Sinatra. It was why were they so different? Nat King Cole. There was something that they did that was beyond. That was in this, the 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 crevice that other people singers didn't have. Mm-hmm. And so I've been in search of that as a dancer. I'm trying to find these little places that people tend to, m- to miss. Because we're looking at the the big step, yeah. no, it's the transition. Yeah, it it really makes me think of like my practice as a dancer mm-hmm. and as an improvisational performer and mm-hmm. stuff like that, or even how I use improv. I think a lot of times in the training mm-hmm. of of students is that is a place where all of those things that you mentioned, all that technical training, all of that practice, mm-hmm. all of those steps mm-hmm. um, get integrated and transformed or transcended mm-hmm. in a way and um, it kind of can all come together it has to be a step there has to be a step from where they're very timid about improvisation right. to where they release into it but it's like yeah. the self comes out yeah and I think that's why you know it's funny because in in so many non-western cultures they don't have a word for dance they don't have a word for music they don't have a word for improvisation what is that I don't have a word because they breathe and live this thing where they are constantly in that space that other place Mm -hmm. because in that other place is also where this when I say the spirit resides that's where the the for example with the Haitian Vodun Condomble in Brazil that um the repetition see in in I know what it is in the western world we have a strange view of repetition. You know, if, if we see something repeated five times in a piece, we think there's nothing going on. Right. But somehow, a lot in that last piece that I did, their eyes were watching, there was a lot of re- repetition. There's that part where they go across the stage and they're all doing this big jump, yeah. and they just keep on going. And after a while, the audience is actually breathing with them, and before long, the audience is trapped inside of that other space. Yeah. And so then now there's no more proscenium. There's, it's like we've squished yeah. it, you know, because so repetition is a big part of that other place that I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it's a big transitional place into which improvisation can occur. Interesting. So like the, the repetition of mm-hmm. movement or sound the loop or rhythm, itself. the loop mm-hmm. kind of propels that forward right. Right. Into, into action. Into, into action. Yeah. And into action that where the, 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 uh, the person who's doing it doesn't have to think about what they're doing. Mm-hmm. That something else is going on where all the learning has taken place and now you're into... It's like watching a, a, a famous chef cook. You know, Food Channel is my favorite show. <laughs> my favorite channel of all times. One, four, five, two. <laughs> it stays on there. And I love these shows where the, they are just given a basket uh-huh. and then they have to compete and yeah. cook whatever the hell is in the basket. Yeah. I, that, I would be a nervous wreck. But I'm saying these people are living in that space. Uh-huh. 
because they bring to that show everything they know about cooking and spices and everything, right? And there's no intellectualizing about it. They yeah. just know it, yeah. right? Yeah. So then they go there, and then there's this huge basket with just the weirdest yeah. things. And they have to just pull it out and make a meal in 30 minutes. That's what I want to get to as a dancer, mm-hmm. is that I have this, this, this toolbox, and I can just, I, I don't have to even think, just bring it and just plop it right there and just tell me what you want. And you can do it. And I can do it. You know, you get to another great point about, um, which has come up before in other conversations also, is like there is something about the value of experience mm-hmm. and knowledge mm-hmm. And training, because mm-hmm. um, I think sometimes when people think of improvisation, they think of, oh, you just do whatever you want to do. So that makes me think of um, this idea of knowledge or skills yes. that that there needs to be a a certain level of experience or something before to, that can even happen. Yeah, I think it's that's, not just that's the way I've always felt. Yeah, improvisation is just it's not. Just, doing whatever you want, it's It's, it's having the skill to play. It's not just a game. Mm -hmm. You know, because I think a lot of times when people think of improvisation, they're just playing games. Right. And to me, it's, uh, improvisation to me is one of the highest levels of dance training. I don't think anybody should be in an improvisation class until they've had a lot of experience. And the experience culturally, because the the more diverse your cultural palette, the more you can, bags you can come out of. Yeah. And then by that also, I mean like theater, the use of words and, and, and uh, you know, how words, movement words. Because you know, um, somebody was describing in one of the videos the hip-hop as a form of writing hmm. when hip-hop first started. And when you think about how they move and the things that they do, how they interpret all these words in these songs, it, it didn't hit me till I heard that. And I thought, wow, you know, that... The hip hop artist, it's a form of writing. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It's a form of writing. It's 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 you know, this is it's is as if you're making your thoughts, your experiences legible mm-hmm. in a way. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and you can and do it's that. testing. Yeah. This improvisation to me mm-hmm. is the is the real test of what you have. <laughs> it's the real test of who you are. Mm-hmm. Because I knew who you were when I when you were here in the grab room when we would do the circles downstairs. Yeah. Because you you completely you were so confident with you and what you knew that you brought that you just totally just like psh, and when you were done you just went psh, you know. <laughs> I remember that day you got in a circle and yeah. you just kind of went. I'm yeah. done. Okay. Was that was that good enough? <laughs> okay, you know, but it was kind of like yeah, because I saw you brought to it, and even at my retirement party when I, you got oh, in yeah. a circle, yeah. you brought who you were, and everybody was screaming and loving it because you brought Daniel, yeah, and that's Daniel beyond all of the. It wasn't Daniel a la Lamone, Daniel a la. No, it was just you as a composite of everything. Right. So I don't think every... First of all, I don't think everybody can improvise. I don't think it's for everybody. Mm-hmm. And I think, it's a, I think it's a skill set. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to thinking about the dancers who are, say, in a more traditional 
dance and they come forward for their solo mm -hmm. and the drummer's there and that interplay starts happening and they have the limitations of the dance that they're right. doing right. but then at the same time we see them become mm -hmm. so present right right the their personality, their personality comes out, comes out yeah. and their and and even when they're working with such a narrow range of movements mm -hmm. if it is narrow mm -hmm. There's a difference between one person and the next. Absolutely. And some of them are just like you're just like yes. Yeah. And other people are like, well, that was nice. That was nice. Yeah. And that was and cool. like, what is yeah. that? And What's so that the difference? Was that yeah. difference? To me, the the difference between that was that was nice and that was like yes, is that the yes person is fluent. Mm-hmm. The the yes person is fluent between. The steps yeah well also like fluent in the vocabulary absolutely they can the, come out of mm -hmm. yeah it's like it, it but you know when when you first start in the studio working on a piece and you're conceptualizing and you're coming up with um, combinations aren't you improvising I, I definitely think you could define it as improvising yeah, yeah. like because I mean I would think that when when I'm coming up with an idea for a piece and I go in the studio and I start just kind of moving around and stuff I'm improvising I'm trying to find I'm using the process of the freedom of improvisation to build a platform mm -hmm. and so um, that process to me is at the heart of improvisation yeah the only difference is, is that when you're inside of the improvisation with a drummer, you come out and the drummer's there, you know, he's looking at you for signals so he can tell where your breaths are, mm -hmm. where he should play the break, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. And, and you know what? We have to teach people how to do improvisation. I mean, it's not a natural. Yeah. You know, we open up the circle and we say, okay, now you're going to improvise. And we have to, we have to, we've had to teach people. First of all, you don't take a step out of another dance and throw it in there because if you do, it's going to change anyway. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's going to change because it's a different rhythm. Right. So there's so yeah. So when you're when you when you have your students and you're in the circle and you have to teach them how to you you have, you have to teach them the etiquette of the circle, mm -hmm. and you also have to lead right. them to like how to to know what to listen for. Yeah. Because, because the, 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 the real art of going in an African dance circle is that, first of all, when you're on the outside and the rhythm is being played, you know where home base is. Okay? Mm -hmm. can never lose that. And then you come, you come out, and sometimes it's choreographically told to you what you, what you do your first step out. Yeah. Sometimes it's hooked to the person who just left you, who just left and you pick up step, their exit step becomes yeah. your entrance step, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And then, then the drummer drops a break, and then you take that, and you can do improvisation or innovation off of that step, or you go into something new. Right. And then you have, we, we tell them you got two or three breaks, right? Yeah. The third break is your exit step. And then, depending on how it's set up, your exit step informs the next dancer who's coming in. Yeah like that so that's traditionally how we you know most African companies do do that mm -hmm. um, 
And then it can be that there's no link between what you do and the next person. Right. It depends on how what right. that restraint is. Yeah. Um, and then I would assume it kind of builds up over time as they get... Yeah, and people get... The ensemble becomes more aware. I mean, I've had dancers fight over, she stole my movement. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I'm looking at them going, it's not your movement. Right. You know, it's inside of the context. Okay, so you created it. But, you know, in the old days, the way the tap dancers learned, there were no dance studios to go to. So, you right. you know, you, a lot of... Uh, Gregory Hines would talk about how he would go in, into theater and hide behind boxes and stuff and watch the great people tap. And then he would go out in the alleyway and he would try to duplicate what he saw. Right. And then sometimes they'd come out the stage door and they'd go, what you doing there, boy? And he'd say, well, I'm saying, so show me that step. And then that's how it was taught. Right. But it's like a comedian. You take, if you take a, a line that another comedian has, you have to say, you have to give credit to who did that line. Sure. Now, the same with the dance steps. You can't just like, if, you, if you're going to take a step, you're going to steal a step. Yeah. You have to do it exactly the way you saw it. And then you can do your improvisation mm. off of it. Mm-hmm. You know? But you don't like do part of it and then make it look like it's your improvisation. Uh-huh. You have to, so that's you a have kind to of honor code. Yeah, you have to acknowledge. Yeah, that's that. a kind of honor code. Yeah. Which, and that's that's helping get passed around. You just you earlier you talked about how all these kind of forms of the African diaspora mm-hmm, mm-hmm. came out and mm-hmm. and um, combined and created all these other possibilities. Right, and and some people say that African dance evolved, and I I I don't like to use that term anymore because it kind of means that it got better because it wasn't that good. Right. And I'm saying the tr- if you go home to the home base tradition. And you watch, for example, the South, the Zulu people do the Zulu dancing with the high kicks and everything, and the the stepping, what we call boot dance, which then now is known as stepping, that is done in the black fraternities. Right. You know, it's only recently that the black fraternities now finally have come to grips with the fact that it's African what they're doing. <laughs> Hello, you know. Um, but I mean, it's kind of like, yeah, um, you know, you. Nothing is new. That's the other thing. Yeah. I mean, unless you, as a human being, figured out how to have three legs, <laughs> and it's a new species that has three legs, and figured out how to step out and do a solo with three legs. Yeah. That's different. <laughs> that would be different. Right. But I always go back to the women in the pots, you know. Those pots over there are just fun. They're nothing. The real pot is the one that they all look the same. Mm-hmm. Well, Fern, I want to thank you for joining me and talking today. It was, it was really interesting to kind of hear some of your perspective and how all that fits together. Um, I, I, it's very illuminating. So I appreciate Good. it. Good. I just I, I'm in between the the pot that that. Uh, is always the same in the pot over there that's different. Yeah. All right. Good. Well, we'll continue to look for those pots. Those pots, hopefully. <laughs> All right. Well, thank All you. Right, thank you. 
Well, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Fern Bronson. Every time I have a conversation with Fern, I come away with more knowledge and understanding of dance, myself, the world. Um, it's re really quite wonderful and a, and a rich source of, of history and, and understanding. So I, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, again, as, as always, please check out the show notes for information about how to find Fern out in the world and on the web. In the next episode of Act React, which will be the final episode of season one, I will be joined by multimedia artist and DJ Alvin Hill. With Alvin, we'll be discussing club DJing through the improvisational lens, as well as dig into a bit about his improv-based media performance ensemble, which improvises sound, lights, and video projection all at the same time. It's pretty cool stuff, so um, I hope you can check it out. Anyway, thanks for listening. Until next time.